You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, if someone were to sit down with you this afternoon and just ask you, how are you doing? And, and I mean, really ask. We know you're fine. That's the right answer. But I mean, actually care for you and, and say, how are you? Um, how many of us in the next 15 minutes of that conversation um, would the word tired come out? Yeah, I've heard it a few times this morning already. Um, I laughed as people are sharing, I'm just tired. Uh, boy, I'm, I'm all tired today. Um, you know, I got so much on my plate. It's heavy. Um, it's all of us. It's all of us. We're tired. Emotionally, physically, we are an exhausted bunch of people. We work long hours, struggle to get ahead. I don't want to just pay the bills. I want to, I want to make something of myself. I want to do something of value. You get home and there's just, there's just more to do there. Uh, I'm, I was sure I left it clean and it's a mess again. I want to spend time with the kids and, and all I do is spend time breaking up fights and then it's dinner time and cleanup time and kids to bed and, and then you fall exhausted into your own bed and sleep like just barely enough, if not, not quite enough hours to get up and do it again. Some of you, the best chance you're going to get all week for a nap is right now and here I am talking through it keeping you awake, and we're not even sure how long that's going to last. Um, fortunately, it's nice and chilly in here, keep you awake. Uh, apologize, there's some boiler problems. Um, we'll, we'll warm it up for next week. Uh, but uh, this is it. We, we live at this frenetic pace, and the to-do list is growing faster than we can take things off of it. And uh, as the days and months and years tick by faster and faster, um, we begin to ask ourselves, where does it end? Like, when do we get off this ride? That building feeling of chaos, loss of control, and and mounting exhaustion, it really comes back to the fact that that we've forgotten the meaning and the purpose of the Sabbath. This is what we're going to talk about this morning, the Sabbath rest. Doesn't that sound nice? Rest. We're tired. We need it. I invite you to take your Bibles out. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. And uh, if you don't have a Bible on you, um, forgot your Bible, or maybe you don't have one, um, just raise your hand, and Corey would love to give you a Bible. We want you to have God's Word open in your lap in front of you uh, as we work through God's Word together. And so just encourage you to have that open. Um, We're going to look this morning at uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. We have actually made it into chapter 2. I know some of you thought we'd never do it. But we're there, and so let me, uh, let me read this passage for us, and, uh, and then we'll jump into it. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Would you pray with me? 
Father, you know our weary hearts. You know our exhaustion, the treadmill that we feel like we're on. God, we need rest. We need something more than a weekend. We need something more than a getaway. Um, we need a deeper rest. God, would you, would you be at work this morning, God, even sharing and praying with some this morning? I feel the weight of rest for our souls. God, give us eyes to see. Encourage us, strengthen us this morning. Father, you know our pride and our hard hearts and, 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 and how slow we are to hear. God, by your mercy, would you open our ears? Would you soften our hearts? Lord, we want to see you. We want to behold you in your word and see your grace, see the peace that you have. Father, I pray for my words this morning, God, that they would be nothing but true to your word, that if I have anything uh, that I've prepared to say that is not true to your word, that those words would just fall to the ground and be forgotten, but God, that your word would go forward, uh, that you would be honored and glorified in it, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing we see this morning as we look into Genesis chapter 2 is the principle of the Sabbath. The principle of the Sabbath. That's where we're going to start. Verse 1, we we enter into the seventh day of the creation week. And and it's almost even odd. I was looking at it at first and I thought, why is day 7 in chapter 2? Like the, The numbers aren't inspired. We just put those there, but somebody put it there. Why, why the seventh day get kicked over? Um, but the more you look at it, the seventh day is different. It is set apart. It doesn't belong with the other six. The seventh day is not a productive day. Every other day begins with, and God said, and then speaks of his, his acts of creation. Day seven is different. Thus, all the heavens and the earth were finished. It's done. He doesn't actually do anything on the seventh day. It's created and accomplished in the sixth day. And the the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them, um, the hosts there usually refers to the the planets, the stars. It's not just the, the earth that's done, it's the universe. Everything has been set into motion, put into place. And the reference there to the, the finishing of the heavens and the earth, there's a, there's a literary bookend um, that, that's at work there. Um, before the first day, we saw in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then immediately after the, the, the sixth day, we see thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And so it's all nicely contained in this package. There's these neat little bookends there. Um, and then he, he has these four sentences laid out, and, and the, the first three of them are all parallel to each other. Um, the original words, uh, in the original Hebrew, um, there, there are exactly seven words in each of those three sentences, and, and the center word of each se- uh, sentence is the seventh day. And so if we're to translate this kind of painfully, literally, it, it, would look something, it would look something like this. So God finished by the seventh day the work which he did, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he did, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. 
So these three sentences, each with seven words, each with seventh day in the center of the sentence, he's making a point. Uh, he's drawing our attention to something. Um, you ever wonder why the number seven in the Bible is significant? Number seven is considered as, as God's number. It's the number of perfection, the number of completion. It begins here. Because it was completed, it was done on the seventh day. God completed all that he had set out to do. There was, there was nothing left to add. And so this is, a, this is a statement from God. The Almighty God has stopped on the seventh day. He ceased his activity. He rested from his work. And the word there in the Hebrew, verse 2, he rested on the seventh day. Um, verse 3, God rested from all his work. Um, newsflash, you speak Hebrew already. When we use the word Sabbath, um, we're just using a poor, poorly uh, um, used word out of the, straight out of the Hebrew. Shabbat. It, it means rest. So that's the word right there. And so um, verse 3 tells us that God blessed that seventh day. And the seventh day, as the, as, the, as the Jews talked about the Sabbath, the seventh day, they called that the Sabbath. They're just saying the rest. That's the rest day. This is a, uh, the second time then that God blesses something in Scripture. Um, chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed humanity. He gave them their mandate. It said he blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth and subdue it, have, have dominion over it. So first the Lord blesses our work. He sends us out. He says, go and, and multiply and, and work and, and, and subdue this earth and bring order and structure and fullness. And he blesses that work. On the seventh day, he blesses our rest. It's made holy. It's set apart. The Lord blesses our work and the Lord blesses our rest. And it says he made the seventh day holy. And holy means set apart. It's, it's unique. It's different from the other days. So specifically, there are six days of work and one day set apart, not like the others, one day to rest. This is the principle of the Sabbath. This basic pattern that God has just kind of woven into creation and so that God blesses rest. That rest is good. That we need rest. God didn't need to rest. Right? He didn't have to stop. He wasn't out of breath. His heart wasn't pumping. He, he wasn't feeling a little exhausted from the last six days. His power, his energy is limitless. It was no strain on him to create the entire universe. But he did. He stopped. He rested. Do we rest? Do you rest? You may not think this explicitly. I know I don't, and yet it's absolutely true of us. When we, when we get into that mode and we get on the treadmill and we're working seven days a week, we toil and labor nonstop, it, it's making a claim about ourselves that we can't back up. Right? You're, you're writing a check that you cannot cash. You're putting yourself on the level with God. In fact, maybe even a little above, because he did rest. You're saying, I don't, I don't need it. I can keep going. We think so highly of ourselves. We put so much weight and pressure on ourselves. Some of us don't think we can rest. We don't think we can rest. 
As if the world is going to end if I take one day off. Your, your company will collapse. Your house will fall apart. The, the world will somehow just cease to turn if the almighty me takes a single day off. That's how important we become in our own minds. And we don't think we can take a day off. The other uh, option is some of us don't think we need rest. This usually creeps in slowly, right? Things get a little busy. Um, I just got to work through this weekend. It's just a season. It's just a busy season. Yeah, how long's that busy season been now? They start to stack up, and, and, and you work through, and, and, and kind of the worst thing that can happen is you get away with it. It goes okay. It goes all right. I'm feeling well, and, and eventually, subconsciously, you start to think, maybe I'm not like those other mere mortals. I can do it. Maybe I am built for this hustle culture. I can, I can get ahead. I can, I can be more if I just don't stop. But you can't because you're not God. We need rest. The Scottish preacher William Still put it this way. Most people crack up because they try to do what God never intended them to do. They destroy themselves by sinful ambition just as much as the drunkard and the drug addict. Ambition drives them on. Ouch. Drunkards, drug addicts, they're they're destroying themselves. Their lives are going to fall apart and we look down on them as we continue to work and run and not rest. And the end is the same. You can rest. You need to rest. We shouldn't feel guilty about rest. We were, we were made to rest. God blesses rest. So we ought to work hard to honor the Lord. We ought to, we ought to put in six days of, or, or five days. We have this extra blessing in, in our society of, of hard work. Get the job done. Honor the Lord in it. And then we ought to rest hard. Break. Breathe. Now that rest might look different for different people. A friend of mine uh, a couple years ago gave me a great piece of advice that helped me kind of make sense of my own resting. Um, His comment was, sometimes when you work with your head, you rest with your hands. That's totally true for me. Um, I spend all week thinking, reading, writing, planning, organizing, counseling, and and it's restful for me to go do some physical labor. It's, It's restful for me to go go work around the house or do something in the yard and, and, and I, can, I can rest in that. Maybe you work hard all week with your body and it would be restful for you to spend some time in a, in a good book to do some in-depth, intense Bible study. You might find rest there. Rest doesn't have to be inactivity, um, but it does mean ceasing from our work, putting the pressure aside, and, and that takes humility on our part. I have to admit, I'm not God. I'm not indestructible and infinite. I'm not able to do this. I just don't have to. I feel like I have to, but I don't. I'm just not that important. It takes faith that the world will continue on without my help, that somehow God will provide even without me for one day. Listen, the the Lord has not called you to do more than you can accomplish without taking a day off. He hasn't hasn't put that burden on your shoulder. 
Whatever that is, he's not called you to do more than you can accomplish while taking a day off. That's the principle of the Sabbath, that we need rest, that God blesses regular rest. Secondly, let's look at the the progression of the Sabbath. Because as we open God's word, and we follow this idea of the the Sabbath, this this concept through Scripture, there's a a progression. There's some changes along the way that, that we need to understand as we think about this. Um, The principle shows up right here, day seven of creation. God has embedded that in in all of creation. But as God's plan unfolds, um, he takes this principle of rest and and he begins to infuse more meaning to it. He had promised first to, to Abraham, then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, right, that he would take their children, their offspring, and he would make them into this great nation, his chosen people. The book of Exodus, that plan really gets fired up as the Lord rescues Jacob's family, the, the people of Israel, and he, and he pulls them out of Egypt, out of the slavery there. And, and, and at this point, he really sets them apart in a way that is distinct, in a way that's obvious to everyone around. He gives them his law. He was given through Moses at Mount Sinai. We call it the, the law of Moses often. Uh, The law of Moses begins with the Ten Commandments. That's like the headline. It's it's the summary at the start. Um, The Ten Commandments. uh, And and then um, the next four chapters in Exodus kind of unpack that a little more, give more detail. And and then the book of Leviticus gives more detail yet. Uh, And then Deuteronomy is years later is kind of a recap and 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 a reminder. This is the law of the Lord. And those laws for the people of Israel were their part of their covenant with God. And the Sabbath shows up pretty quickly. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments. And so Exodus 20, 8 to 11 says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work. You or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the entire nation of Israel and all of their children and their slaves, and their livestock, and the visitors that come and go through the land were not to work on the seventh day. The whole thing shut down. Like Economically, that was a huge risk for a nation to do, and that would make them very unique in the world around them. What are you guys doing? Why did everything stop? Today's the Sabbath. We don't work on the Sabbath. Made them distinct. It was this distinguishing mark that they were God's people. The seventh day of of rest moves from principle into law. And this becomes this defining feature of the nation of Israel. They were the people who rested on the seventh day. And if you did not rest on the seventh day, um, you could be stoned. They, They took this seriously. This was law. So the seventh day is this, um, this distinguishing mark of God's people. Uh, secondly, the Sabbath, Sabbath um, was an act of faith. The book of Exodus um, f- 
following the, the Ten Commandments, and then there's this kind of four chapters of laws, and following that, there are seven chapters of instructions on how to build the tabernacle, and how to set this up. And, and, and the tabernacle is where they would go to meet God, the place they would go to, to be made holy, to bring their, their sacrifices. This was their holy place of, of worship. And, and immediately following those seven chapters of instructions and this, this to-do list, Exodus 31, 12, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout all your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So there's all these laws and the Ten Commandments, and then there's all these instructions of how to build the tabernacle. There was all kinds of work to do to, to build this up. And then the Lord says, above all of that, stop. Hit pause. And remember, it's I who sanctify you. It's the Lord that makes you holy. You're not holy because of all the work that you do or because of the tabernacle or, or even because of the sacrifices. That's something the, the Lord does and you can't do. It's this reminder, it's the Lord who sanctifies. It's not about our effort. It's not about our striving, even our sacrifice. It's the Lord that makes you holy. And so um, this, this physical act of rest had a spiritual reality behind it. It was a rest of faith. Faith in the Lord that that he would do what they could not do, that he would make them holy. And so it's this distinguishing mark, and it's this act of faith. And then thirdly, it was a reminder of their rescue out from Egypt. Later, um, the Ten Commandments are restated again in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5.15, the Lord says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand, in an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So every Sabbath as they rested, they're reflecting on this, that God saved them, that we were slaves. We were, we were sentenced to hard labor leading to death. And God did these amazing miracles. By his mighty hand, he pulled us out. He rescued us. He made us his people. And they're, they're remembering this. They're reflecting on their rescue out of slavery. And then fourth and finally, the Sabbath was an expression of hope. Hope of a, a future rest. Right? God had promised Israel that he would give them rest and, and prosperity and peace. Isaiah 66, 22, it says this. The Lord says, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And so this remembering the Sabbath is connected to this greater rest that is to come. There's a day ahead of, of ultimate Sabbath, of ultimate rest. That's what the Sabbath meant to Israel. This distinguishing mark this act of faith, this remembrance of their rescue, and this looking forward to a future hope, a future rest. The question is, what does it mean for us? How do we interact with the Old Testament law? We read that, what do we, what do, we do? And, and I 
think this is helpful because you're going to get this. If you're, if you're off in the coffee shop chatting with an atheist, he's going to look at you and say, well, do you have a shirt on of mixed fabrics? Because the Bible says you can't do that. What are you going to say? Uh, I haven't checked, but maybe. So we should stone you, right? How do we interact with the Old Testament law? And then specifically, the Sabbath. Should, should we be distinct because we take a Sabbath, a, a, a seventh day of rest? And newsflash, um, the Sabbath was yesterday? We missed it. It's a Saturday. Is the seventh day. And if it's mandatory by God's law that we rest on the seventh day, I think we often miss that. And then rest to what degree? Like, is it okay to garden? Is it okay to, to make supper or to eat out? Or which is better? How do, we, how do we figure this out? And in this new covenant, we have the answer. When Jesus came, he brought in a, a new covenant. And in the new covenant, we see the promise of the Sabbath. We can speak of the the covenant of Moses today, um, and and we speak of it as the Old Covenant. That's why your Bible has two pieces. Old Testament means covenant, agreement, contract. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In Jesus, we have a new covenant. In in Christ, we are no longer under the law of Moses. It it doesn't apply to us in that way. That is not a law that, that hangs over us that we need to obey. That was God's covenant through Moses with the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. That's not us. We're in a new covenant. God's covenant to us through Jesus. So we're no longer under the law of Moses. Now it's interesting if you just take a minute and and work through this. All of the Ten Commandments are not only reiterated in the new covenant, but they are intensified, right? Right? They all transfer over, all of them, of course, except one. There's one of the Ten Commandments that is never commanded again in the New Testament. It's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. In fact, quite the opposite happens. Colossians 2.16 says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you, In question of food and drink, there's some old covenant law. Are you eating clean foods or unclean foods? Doesn't matter. Don't let people judge you on that. That's not what we're about. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon. So you're talking about the the Jewish feasts or a Sabbath. Don't don't let anybody pressure you on that. Don't let anybody judge you on whether or not you're you're observing the Sabbath. Romans 14.5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, and another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So under the old covenant, if you esteemed all days alike, you could be stoned for that. Under the new covenant, Paul says, it's okay. It's okay. Different people do it different ways. Different people are honoring the Lord. That's between them and God. And, 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 and don't, don't judge one another on that. And so it's not surprising then, under the new covenant, um, that the, the early church... Um, began to act differently. After the the resurrection of Jesus, which, by the way, happened on a Sunday, the early church began to gather for worship on Sundays. And so, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. 
Paul is encouraging them to take an offering when they gather. And he says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, uh, that there will be no collection when I come. Put it aside on the, on the first day of the week when, you know, when you're gathered together, because that's what they were doing. Acts 20 verse 7 says this, On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. I like that. That gives you guys a little more grace for me. I've never gone to midnight. Um, they're, they're gathered on the Sunday, the first day of the week. Now, it's not a new law. It's just kind of mentioned in passing. It doesn't, the, the New Testament doesn't say you shall gather on the, the first day. It just happens to mention that that's what they were doing. And it's interesting in Acts 20, um, they're meeting in the evening. That's why Paul goes till midnight and not past lunchtime. Um, why are they meeting in the evening? Sunday's a work day. Nobody stops on Sunday. They lived in a predominantly um, Jewish culture where you know, the Sabbath off was, was, was normal. That was around. Um, but the Sunday's a work day. It wouldn't be until uh, the year 321 that Constantine would declare Sunday as a day of rest. So we, we aren't under the law of the Sabbath. We're, we're free in Christ. Each person is free before the Lord, either uh, to esteem one day as special or, or all days alike. Uh, it's, that's between you and God, which is good, because Sunday is my favorite day of the week, but it is not a day of rest for me. I'm going to need to sleep tomorrow a lot. Um, Sunday is exhausting for me. It's a work day. Monday is my Sabbath. Now, the, the principle of the Sabbath still stands, right? God still laid that out in creation. We need rest. God blesses rest. That principle is still there. But the Sabbath today is not a, a law to be kept. It's a blessing to be enjoyed. There's more to it, though, as we press in a little harder. Um, there's another piece here. There's another uh, step in the, the progression of the Sabbath as we work through Scripture. Um, it's true we're no, longer, we're no longer bound by Sabbath law. But that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us. As we ask, how do we apply the Sabbath to us today? Um, the promise of the Sabbath becomes clear. When Jesus talked about the law of Moses, he made it very clear. Um, we're not under the law, but it's not as though uh, the law is thrown out. The law of Moses um, wasn't just tossed aside or were abolished. Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. Jesus wasn't just the, the end of the law, now it's over and, and done with and tossed aside. He was the culmination of it, the fulfillment of it, the, the purpose of the law. And so uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. He's the fulfillment. He's the end of it, the, as in the goal of it. And not only the old covenant in general, but the Sabbath in particular. From the very first day of rest on day seven of creation and then building and mounting through the old covenant through the old testament it was always pointing forward 
to Jesus. With the coming of Jesus, the old covenant doesn't just fall apart. It doesn't become obsolete and and pointless. No, it it comes to its fulfillment. It comes to its, its glorious climax. We already read 2 Corinthians 2.16. Let's bring in verse 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink with regard to the festival, the the new moon of the Sabbath. He's outlining these significant things in the old covenant law. Don't be judged by those things anymore. Now, why? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Right? When you see a shadow on the ground, you're, you're walking along and you see a shadow walk up beside you, what do you do? You follow the shadow to the substance. I want to know what's casting the shadow. The shadow begs this question of what's actually there. The Sabbath, the food laws, the festivals, the, the old covenant was a shadow. The ultimate purpose was always to point to something else, something of substance. And that substance was Jesus. So you talk about how were the the Old Testament saints saved? How did they get to heaven? Was it by sacrifice of of bulls and goats and, and, and obeying the law? No, it was a shadow. They were saved by trusting in Christ. They just didn't know his name. They were saved in doing these things as an act of faith, knowing that there was a substance to come. So, why are we no longer commanded to rest on a certain day? Because the true Sabbath has come. The substance is here. Jesus is our rest. Our ultimate rest is is not resting our bodies on a day. It's resting our souls in Christ. Scott Hubbard puts it this way. Christ's first coming did not abolish rest. Rather, it ushered in a deeper kind of rest that the Sabbath could never offer. The reason we are so lacking in rest, the reason we are so tired and always falling behind, and and the the reason we're perpetually exhausted and frustrated is sin. It's sin. It's sin, firstly, in, in kind of a general sense. It's just the reality of the sinful world that we live in, right? God created Adam and Eve. He finished his work on the sixth day and, and, and completed what he had done, and then he rested. And, and that, there's, there's a connection there kind of pointing forward to Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Um, the word put there is actually a different Hebrew word for rest. He rested Adam in the Garden. He settled him there. He, he dwelt him there. God finishes his work and he settles rests Adam. And, and God dwelt there with Adam and Eve in, in peace. But Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. They broke that relationship. And they brought unrest into this world. The curse of sin. God said it would bring about thorns and thistles and corruption and futility. Everything about your job that leaves you feeling like it's never done and everything you do ends up undone and and that futility and frustration, that's sin. There was work before the fall. There there were jobs to do. There There was things to get done, but there wasn't futility in it. 
Toil is part of the fall. Sin brought, brought disintegration and chaos into this world, this lack of rest, and Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden. And that's just the reality of this world that we live in. We lack rest because of sin in this world, and in some ways, um, we don't escape that in this life. It's a broken world. But we also lack rest because of sin in a very personal way. We've sinned against God. It's not just Adam and Eve, it's you and me. We have broken our relationship with God by our sin, by our rejection of Him, not living according to His glorious standards, and none of us have. And so our relationship with Him is broken. We were created for this connection with Him, this this relationship with God in which we would find our our meaning and purpose and fulfillment and rest, this this relationship with our Creator, and it's torn apart. There's this gap now. There's an emptiness. There's an exhaustion that, that comes out of that. We were created for community with Him, for communion with Him. Augustine famously put it this way, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our sin separates us from God. It creates this chasm between us and it leaves us restless. Every human society feeling that restlessness comes up with their own way to try to fix it, their own religion. Their own idea of who God is and how we can get back to God and how we can fix this. They feel that restlessness. And every world religion is built on work. Do more. Do it better. Fix it. What do you need to do to to climb up that mountain to get to God? How do you scale that wall to get to Him, to try to be restored to the divine? And it puts this heavy burden on those who desperately need rest. But Christianity is unique. Beginning in creation and, and, yes, even through the law of Moses culminating in Christ, Christianity is not about how do we get up to God but how God came down to us. He came down in the person of Jesus Christ. He came to to close that gap, to do the work of restoring us to God, that work that we could never have done. When He died on the cross, He took the penalty for sin that we deserved. He purchased our forgiveness, our reconciliation to God. John 19.30 records some of Jesus' last words on the cross, and he says this, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. It's finished. The work is done. He did it. It's complete. He completed our salvation. He did all the work. There's nothing left to do but to rest in it. To put our faith in Him, to rest in Him. The Sabbath rest was to be this distinguishing mark of the the people of God through the Old Testament. Our distinguishing mark is that we rest in Jesus. That's what sets us apart. That's what makes us different, unique. 
We rest in Him. That physical rest on the seventh day was this this spiritual rest. A rest that God said would be a sign throughout the generations, Exodus 31, 13, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So he did it in Christ. The Sabbath, again, was this, this act of faith, right? Trusting that the Lord would do what we cannot, that he is the one who makes us holy, that it's the Lord who sanctifies. And that promise always pointed forward to Jesus. Our faith is placed in Him. Faith in Him means ceasing from our toil, ceasing from our striving and our labor, trying to get up to God because He has done the work, because He did it. In Jesus, we see that that it's God who sanctifies. Thirdly, as the Sabbath was to be a, a reminder that God rescued them out of Egypt, that he rescued them out of slavery and death, our rest in Christ is this reminder that God has rescued us from our slavery. Again, there's this, this shadow reality, right? Not just out of an enemy of, of slavery, of physical slavery leading to physical death, but the enemy of sin that would bring eternal death. We've been rescued. The fullness of God's rest. The only true rest is to rest in Him. He is our Sabbath. Outside of that, it doesn't matter what you do. The sluggard who who, who does the, the bare minimum just working for the weekend and the workaholic who gives everything into his job and works seven days a week, they will both be restless. Both of them will be frustrated and anxious and overwhelmed until they learn to rest their souls in Christ. That's our true rest. Your Sabbath rest needs to be be more than just a physical rest. It needs to be a time to lean on Him. It's a time to, to recognize these things. It's more than just sleeping in a little and putting down your tools. It's resting your soul in Christ. Time to seek Him. Time to meditate on His Word. Time to spend in His presence. And as that first day of rest at creation and the ongoing Sabbath command were were both placed with this future promise, this future hope is kind of woven in throughout. There's this hopefulness looking forward to a future rest. In Christ we have a hope of full and final rest. Hebrews 4, 8 to 10 says this, if Joshua had given them rest, now what's he talking about? Rest from Joshua. He, what did Joshua do? Joshua brought the people of Israel into the land of Canaan, conquered the, the promised land, right? This is it. We've got it. And Israel's thinking, we've made it. This is our rest. How'd that work out? Not very well. How much rest does Israel have in their land today? None. So, Hebrews says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, and whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The promised land was a shadow. 
pointing forward to a substance. It was, a, it was an object lesson that had this great and glorious eternal fulfillment. You imagine if all of God's promises ended in a chunk of land? That would be disappointing. Now, God's promises lead us forward to an eternity of perfect rest, a new heavens, a new earth. A rest in Christ. And in Christ we have that rest today. We have it now. Truly, actually, it's ours. And in Christ we have that rest um, in a confident hope of an eternity where we will have it fully and completely. We leave behind this broken world. We enter into his perfect, endless rest. That's a rest I can look forward to. That's a rest that gives me a hope today that as we run through the rat race of this broken world, that there is a time that we get off this ride, that we do have peace as God intended in him. So are you resting in him? Have you ceased from your striving and your work to try to please God? We get so wrapped up in trying to to make ourselves acceptable to God. When you sit down to read your Bible, are you just seeking to rest in Him and be with Him? Or are you trying to knock another thing off the to-do list to, to raise your spiritual status in His sight? Trying to compete with this world. Live up to these unrealistic standards of all that we should be and do. And you're seeing the, the moms on uh, whatever social media you're on. And look at all the amazing things they've done. And all the, their kids are so perfect. And I just need to be like that. That needs to be my identity. If I can just be that. It's exhausting. Put down your labors. Give up trying to climb your way up to God. Give up trying to find your identity in being more in this world. He's already come down. He's already crossed the chasm. He's already given us relationship with him, his favor toward us who are undeserving. And we have an identity in Christ as the children of God that we can rest in. Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A glorious promise. Rest. The worship team, come. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. Communion is all about resting in Him. Remembering again His body broken for us. His blood poured out for us. His work for us. So that we can rest in Him. And so this practice is, is only for those who are resting in Christ this morning, who have put their hope in Him. If you've not put your faith in Jesus, you've not repented of your sin and and given up on your striving to try to impress God and just trusted Him, then then this is not for you. We just ask you to let it pass by and, and observe and think about this offer of Christ to give rest, to give peace, to give restoration to God for those who trust in Him. At the same time, if you count yourself a believer this morning, but you're walking in unrepentant sin. You're not living uh, in that submission to Christ. Paul warns that that you should abstain. That communion is to be a time of self-reflection that draws us back to repentance. And we continue to walk in that repentance. 
But for those this morning who come in humility, not sinless perfection, that's none of us, but in humility and repentance before the Lord, desperate for him, then we declare together as we partake communion of our rest in him, of his.